Welcome to The Whole Steward, the holistic approach to wealth from a Christian worldview. I'm your host, Andrew Stanton, and I'm glad you've joined. Last week, we started with an awesome interview with my good friends, the Millers in Alaska. This week, we'll dive in again to finish that interview and hear about some of the challenges and deep aspects of their work there. We'll dive into the essence of knowing and understanding the gospel and then tie it all together with holistic stewardship today on The Whole Steward. This is episode number 51, and I'm thankful for you listening. This will be a continuation of my conversation today with the Millers. If you did not get part one, I encourage you to listen to last week's episode because we will be jumping straight into the middle where James and Shannon start to take us into some of the deep matters of a clash of culture and also how to understand the gospel. How do we understand the good news that Christ came to earth, sent by his Father as the Messiah? Christ means Messiah and the promised one, the anointed one. It's not his last name. We do say Jesus Christ. Many times we say Christ Jesus. Christ is his title. Jesus came to seek and to save the lost. And that means every nation from every tribe and every tongue around the world. One of the things we dig into is, can you know Christ in your native tongue? Now, you might say, well, of course, the answer is yes. But we'll see. Not everybody necessarily has thought that way. So without further ado, let's hear the rest of the conversation. Of course, we'll be tying it all together at the end with holistic stewardship, and you might be surprised at what you find out about the Miller's perspective on the holistic approach to wealth from a Christian worldview. That'll be next on The Whole Steward. typical pattern for missions in Alaska, and I mean, this isn't a secret or anything. Everybody understands this is what happens is, you know, a missionary will come into a village. They will build a building, Hmm. get some people to come to church and be there for however many years. And at some point that missionary leaves and then nobody comes to church. There's nobody to lead church. And so the building sits empty. And you can go all over Alaska and wow. see empty church buildings. And there's there was no leadership. And this is one of the things that we saw. I mean, there was no, you know, passing the baton and, and having native leaders come forward and be trained and be comfortable you know, carrying on the ministry. Um, so that was one issue that we saw. And, and that was one of the reasons for starting these training modules. And then the language thing, you know, um, Alaska Native languages have been severely hurt um, from a lot of history where they've been systematically destroyed. And they were, the early 1900s, there were epidemics. And so you had a lot of elders and like the shamans and stuff would die off. There was, there, so there was like this gap of, of Native leadership. But then in the 20s, the Bureau of Indian Affairs started coming in, building schools and kind of gathering people into their villages. Because really before that, they were nomadic. They would live here when it was time to fish this kind of fish and move this place when it was time to hunt this kind of mm-hmm. animal. You know, and so, it was, so they really kind of consolidated into villages under you know, the Bureau of Indian Affairs and the schools. And in those schools, they couldn't speak their native language. They'd be punished for doing that. Then they started, the idea of going to boarding school came up. And um, there's a thing called the 60s scoop. And this that was more in Canada, but it, it happened in Alaska, where in, the, in Canada, they went in and actually like physically removed the kids you know, by force of will, against the will of the parents, and put them in boarding schools. And in the boarding schools, if you speak your language, you're 
going to get punished. If you do native crafts or if you dance or you will get punished. Who's the they here? The schools, the, whether that's a, a you know, public like governmental boarding school or a missionary boarding school, you know, religious boarding school. Um, they were all kind of under the same idea that, you know, you need to learn English. We're going to assimilate you into Western culture. So it's actually a systematic destruction of culture. Of, of, of language and culture. Kid. Yep, absolutely. And so that's part of losing language, right? Um, in fact, like Wycliffe had some translators that we personally know that were translating um, upriver the Koyukuk language. And in the 60s, they just decided to stop because nobody's speaking the language anymore. Everybody's learning English, so there's no reason to translate the Bible into those languages. So it's, it's really been a systematic destruction of, of language, which is sad. Um, and <laughs> we might need to do another podcast on some of the mm -hmm. things that I've discovered in that. But as I started realizing, there's this real need to dig into the issues, these barriers to native leadership and, you know, why people don't really own Christianity or, or don't seem to have a genuine relationship with Christ, even mm. when they say they, they are a believer. And so that kind of launched me into, well, I want to study this out. And we weren't getting good analysis from the veteran missionaries that we talked to. It just seemed like there was this gap in understanding at least i wasn't satisfied with the answers you right, know yeah um, yeah and some things that you would think that you know a veteran missionary been there for 50 years would would have thought about certain questions that i was asking and i was kind of getting blank stares so i decided and i was actually encouraged by another uh, actually one of the board members of the mission to pursue a, a phd at, at southern um so I looked into it, and I'm like, yeah, that sounds like a really good plan. And so I started studying um, that. And, I mean, you know, uh, <laughs> there's a lot of family stuff going on in ministry and homeschooling kids. That I, Another I mean, kid yeah, has come along by this point. Another kid has come along, yeah, that's right. In 2015, um, we had our number five, seven and a half years after our number four. Um, so we have two boys now. Um, yeah, and, and so it was a big decision, but and we kind of both agree. <laughs> agreed on so, it. so let's hear Shannon's piece, did you? What did you think well, at this it, point? It, does, it did seem to be a step that God laid out. Yeah. Um, and so in faith, you take it. Yeah. Yeah, and even like timing-wise, I mean, it was like we're, we're kind of coming to the point, it's coming to head. We're like, we need more answers, right, that we're not getting. And he also had VA benefits that had a timeline on them that right. were going to run out. Yeah, they were going to run out mm. in 2020, right? Yeah. So we're like, and, and I had two years of VA benefits left. So I was like, okay, this, if I should do this now, right? So, um, yeah, so 2018, I enrolled in the PhD program at Southern. And, you know, I started doing, you know, history of Christian missions. And so I'm going to study, you know, history of Native missions. And, We've talked about this on the side that I don't know if we'll be able to get into, but mm -hmm. you know, I, I went to, you know, to do a study on John Eliot, who was like the apostle to the Indians, a Puritan missionary, thinking, you know, great, you know, good theology and all that, and, and you know, we'll find out how he did it. And I started studying him and came to find out oh, that's he actually did a lot of horrible things. Um, mm. And, in terms of like culture destruction, basically. Right. Yeah. I mean, yeah. he he was like, we will not give them the benefits of Christ, meaning like baptism, communion, um, church membership, um, until they move into these towns, build houses, plant a garden, put a fence around the garden, build a church building, become civilized mm. before they can before they, we, we will allow them into the church. Um, the reason he gave is because, well, these are nomads, and if for some reason they came under church discipline, they would just split. That's obviously not Puritan you know, <laughs> yeah. English, but 
yeah, right. they're they'll they'll leave, and so they won't even be you know subject to to the church. So we need to civilize them. Hmm. Um, and so through and you were like, oh, these... I agree with this totally, <laughs> right? Yeah. As you dug deeper, yeah, you uh, you're you're basically now studying for the PhD or your yeah for is yeah, this for this your is dissertation. For no, there. So, in a PhD program, you have two years of coursework that you're okay. doing. So, I'm taking a class on history of Christian missions. Okay. So, right. I'm doing a paper on. Uh, you know, you get to choose what you want to write on. So, yeah, and I actually had thought that might be a dissertation topic. Okay. Um, but as I got going, I I actually was able to do a study at the University of Alaska Fairbanks. I took a course called um, Native Ways of Knowing. I also took Introduction to Athabascan Linguistics. Because Grayling is an Athabascan, they also call themselves Indians, Athabascan Indians. And so I wanted to learn the language, and that was part of my PhD. Also. And all the while, you're still flying out to Grayling on yeah. a regular basis. Yeah, yeah. While still building your house in right. the spare time, <laughs> in the summers, I guess. Yeah, uh, yeah. And starting all of this and study. And doing the training modules, yeah. Yeah, yeah. And, and so I took that native ways of knowing class and i had been introduced to a book by drew johnson called scriptures knowing which was kind of a short version follow-on to his larger book biblical knowing and i started kind of comparing these i'm like you know native knowing is really close to what he's saying biblical knowing is and i can i can give you that very quickly so his his statement is that in scripture knowing well means to Listen to trusted authorities. Do what they tell you to do until you see it the way they see it. Hmm. And that's how you come to know biblically. And that sounded really close to what I had seen in, you know, in Native people. Um, so it just kind of that got my curiosity going into maybe this would be a really good dissertation topic. And so I started realizing that fairly early on. And so I minored in philosophy to be able to get kind of more of a philosophical background to be able to engage in this topic. So mm. taking epistemology. And so um, um, I am currently still writing my dissertation and fairly well into it. And that the title of that is Native Knowing, Western Knowing, and Biblical Knowing, Developing an Integrated Epistemology for Missions. Mm. So the idea is to take Native knowing, what I, what I know of native knowing, and comparing it to biblical knowing, and with those two answering some of the issues that missiologists have identified in Western epistemology and how it's negatively impacted missions. And so saying, hey, if we take biblical knowing and native knowing and their systems being so similar, develop a model from that that people can then use to understand when I go out to, to teach and, and talk to Native people what's happening in the process of knowing and how do I need to adapt my Western <laughs> ways to their ways and, right. and still be biblical about it. Mm -hmm. There's so many, I mean, th this is what you're studying right now yeah. for your dissertation. You're still flying out to Grayling on a regular basis and doing the training modules, I assume. Yes, and you know, COVID came there, like. Oh yeah. And, okay. Yeah. So that adds an element. Yeah, and that really, man. I mean, that changed like the training modules we didn't do for a while. Going out to Grayling, they had like locked down the village. Then when they started letting people in, it was like you have to do a 14-day quarantine when you oh, come in the right. village. So like, we can't go out there 14 days of quarantine to do a Who, week of ministry. Who's the they? I'm super curious. Like you say, they required this. So this was the tribal like council. Like, so does the tribal Grayling. council like jump on the internet and go, oh, wow, look at what is happening in the rest of the world and we're going to do the same thing? Yeah, I mean, they, they did. And I mean, there's, I'm sure they have lots of influence for, or inputs from, you know, the state, the federal. Okay. You know, they, there's, there was COVID money flowing like crazy too, you know, so there's, that's, <laughs> that's a factor too, I'm sure. Um, mm. But yeah, so, so yeah, it was just really, that was a really hard time to just, but I was doing my PhD too. So it gave me some time to do my coursework and write some papers and things like that. And all um, your courses were remote. 
um, I did. Or you had to go. I, I, I came into Southern for like two weeks, um, okay. twice a year. Okay. For two years, and then the coursework was done. And then it's like the whole writing process is just crazy. I mean, it's, there's a lot to writing a dissertation, just even getting getting it approved, talking to your advisor, your committee, and all this, mm -hmm. making sure that you can write on this topic and do it ethically and that it actually is beneficial to, to the, the, the field of study. And also, in the meanwhile, I should say, too, we I had taken this interest in native language, so um, their language is called Holikachuk, and theirs mm -hmm. is their language for their village. They're the only village that speaks it. And so I started working with the tribe on like digging into archives and starting to think, how could we encourage you know using the language again and getting classes in the school. And that's been a long process. I mean, we started that in 2018, and we've had our third year of classes the first year was really just kind of a very much just kind of a dip your toe in the water kind of a thing the second year they got credit for one semester of classes and then we skipped a year because of a lot of turmoil in the school and then this last year we actually have i'm facilitating some online courses that were developed by doyon foundation and so that both high school and middle school students, so about 18 kids, are taking Holokachuk classes, and I'm facilitating them. I'm kind of like a little bit ahead of, of them in learning the language. Interesting. Yeah. What an awesome leading of God through all these different, uh, you know, doorways that you've gone through. I know, Shannon, you're always right there at his side <laughs> to support him when he says, I started thinking about this. I know you're thinking about it, too, certainly. Talk a little bit more about the philosophy of ministry, because you're talking about language restoration, you're talking about training modules, you're talking about teaching in, I assume it's a public school, mm -hmm. uh, they're in the village mm -hmm. that uh, you guys fly out to on a regular basis. Most people, when they think of missions, they're going to think, oh, you're either church planting mm -hmm. or going out and like serving in the church. Um, so talk about your philosophy of ministry and why it's so involved in these other things. Yeah. Yeah. Cause you're right. I mean, people think, yeah, you know, are these even really legitimate ministries? And, you know, as we think about, you know, going back to realizing, Hey, we, there's no native leadership and there's not much ownership of the church, right. Of, of the, of the ministry. And, and like I said, a lot of people say they're Christians, but, you know, they're drunkards, they're fornicators, they're, you know, it's just there seems to be no impact of the gospel on their life. And so that, the question of why is that, right? What is the barrier to people living out what they say is their faith? And, you know, it, it's easy to go in there and just say, well, they just, you know, we just need to teach them the Bible more. Not even asking, well, what does it mean to teach? Right? Because for us, Westerners, we learn in a different way. Mm. We like linear thinking, linear logic. We like, you know, well thought out arguments, logical arguments, and everything is about facts and proving facts. Right? We are, we, we believe it is our responsibilities as individuals to know and to assess truth that's not the way a native person thinks and mm. so when you when you say hey we're going to raise up native pastors or teachers or leaders what kind of a person are you going to raise up and and so that's why all of these all these things of studying how how do they come to know and even how does the language figure in there? Um, you know, I, I, we've talked, you know, before about some of the things that I heard. For instance, in in these training modules, I heard um, Dennis. He he had said this several times. He says, you know, there's no word in our language for forgiveness. And I actually just heard a guy who had been pastoring in a village say this not that long ago, yeah, there's no word in their language for forgiveness. And 
it was interesting. His, this pastor's, you know, response to that was, well, see, we need to build relationships with them so they can come and adopt this idea of, understand this idea of forgiveness from us. Right, that was basically in English, right? Or right the concept described because in English. because can you imagine they don't even know what the word forgive they don't have the concept of forgiveness in their language, and like and when that I heard sound that right. that doesn't sound right. People interact with each other as human beings, right? Later, I heard the same thing about love. There's no word in our language for love. I'm like, are you kidding me? You mean mm-hmm. there's no way that you guys talked about? self-sacrificial giving of yourself to one another mm-hmm. or affection for your children. Mm-hmm. And, and I'm just like somebody somewhere down the line gave this, you know, statement that, well, there's no word for that. And I, I didn't, I didn't believe that. So actually let me give you a little story. So we were doing a training module going through a workbook. And one of the questions was, how does God forgive us? And um, Dennis was there, and he, and some, and the other guys, and and they're like, you know, they gave good answers, uh, you know, completely as far as the east is from the west. He buries our sins in the depths of the sea, and I'm like, yeah, good, good standard answers, right? And I, and I don't know, if it's Holy Spirit or whatever. I'm like, you know, Dennis, I'm not sure that that's the right question. How does God forgive you? How can God forgive you? I said, what happens when you offend somebody? You know, you've said there's no word for forgiveness in your language. What do you do when you offend somebody? How do you make that right? He's like, well, I don't know the native word for it, but it's the idea of potlatch, where you know, I offend somebody and I might give them a rifle, and now we're even. And he says, you know, if it's a really big offense, the whole family might gather resources together to to give that person enough to make up for that offense. I said, do you see that's exactly how God can forgive you? See, our offense, each one of us, was so great that we couldn't make it up. Mm. So God himself becomes our family through Christ and gives enough and makes up the offense. His jaw just dropped. He couldn't believe that in his culture, there was a way of forgiveness, mm-hmm. of reconciliation. He'd been living, I mean, his grandfather was a pastor, one of like the original pastors. He'd been living for generations being told that his language did not have an essential element of the gospel. But it did. It was just, for whatever reason, it wasn't, maybe the people weren't thinking theologically well, or they didn't know the language or whatever, but they had been satisfied with, oh, well, we'll just tell you what forgiveness is, and you have to learn it in English. And I'm convinced that's the same thing with love, too, because I know there are native words for love, which they'll say, they'll say oh, you can't understand it in English, because it is a self-sacrificing, giving you know, of yourself, and there's no word for it in in English. And so that's another, I haven't pursued that one yet. Yeah. It comes back to, you know, everyone on earth being made in the image of God. Mm -hmm. And you can can trace all the way back to, say, the Tower of Babel, Mm -hmm. where God confused the languages as they were trying to build a tower to God, basically, and he said no, and he confused the languages, and so now you see all these different languages. But they're still, as you have said in the past, image bearers. Right. Image bearers mm-hmm. uh, of, of God. And that doesn't mean we're gods. It means we're made um, with value you know, and concepts that we need to understand between us and and God, right? And you're talking about some of these. And of course, there's got to be like that concept in human interaction because we're image bearers, right? Right, right, yeah, yeah. Yeah, and, you know, Paul says when the Gentiles 
not having the law do the things contained in the law, they demonstrate the law of God written on the heart, right? So there's, right. there's this conscience in everyone that we know who God is. We know right from wrong. And so, yeah, these ideas of love and forgiveness and bitterness on the other side of things, right? Anger, they understand these are, this is right and wrong. Um, you were talking about Babel, you know, Paul, when he's on Mars Hill in the Areopagus, this famous, you know, famous speech, and it actually has come up a lot in recent um, discussions about race and so forth, where he says, hey, you know, God has, he's not far from us. He's created everybody out of one blood, right? He's made every man. And we, in a lot of, in a lot of evangelical discussions, we've stopped there. But he says, and he has caused them to dwell on all the face of the earth. And that really is a reference to Babel, right? When he scattered them, because it says then he, he scattered them, he set up their boundaries and their habitations, I think, you know, depending on what translation you're using. Mm -hmm. But God is the one that set up the borders, right, of all these different people groups. And he says, in hope, that they might, or so that they might seek after God and perhaps grope for him. So in the Tower of Babel, when you think about it, it was really a gracious act of God because instead of being united and trying to all be united and make their own way to God, now they were splintered and they were shown that they needed to depend on God. Hmm. But I, I believe that in that, that, that division of the language, God embedded in every language the ability to seek after him. And I know there's a lot of, like, <laughs> there's a lot, well, do men seek after God? There's none that seek after God. And actually, there's an interesting grammatical structure there that, that it says, and perhaps grope for him. Right. It's actually like the lowest level of contingency. Like, there's sometimes in the Greek where you do, you know, if you've been raised with Christ, and you have, right? Mm -hmm. Seek those things above. So it, there's contingency, but it actually it's is true. It's almost like a sense it's true. Yeah, um, since yep. it's true. Yeah, mm -hmm. it gets translated. Well, this is a, kind of a rare Greek construct, but it's actually if, you know, perhaps they might grope for him and they won't. Right? Interesting. Yeah, so it, it, it's interesting. Yeah, but that's a side note. But, but I believe still God embedded the ability to seek after God in every language. Mm. And that's going to look a lot different because a lot of languages, I mean, it's not just translate the English language into this. I mean, thoughts and ideas and, you know, structures and how words relate to each other are completely different in a lot of languages. Mm. So now, Shannon, what are you doing to help with this effort? You, you and the kids, I think, you know, are working on, is it coursework? What, what are you doing? Well, you know, backing up to so what do we do are we church planners no but we are we are the point of what we do is to help people know god that's mm -hmm. that's the call of our life and that's what we are calling others to so For how every christian right, right. so how do we know god how do we help others know god um as the years have gone on um from our times our, our years of spending a week out in grayling for years on end now um, when we first went out there, the the main age of the kids in the village was Jared's age. He was eight years old when we mm. started going out. And those kids kind of grew up coming over to our house, the safe spot after school, hanging out, eating meals, um, baking cookies. And they have um, now entered high school. COVID happened, like we like we mentioned, but just after COVID, they started coming into the age where they were entering high school. And in Ninana, which is 75 miles away from our home, there is a living center where kids can come in from the village and live and then attend the local high school. Um, so slowly, the kids from Grayling have started trickling in to the boarding school. And each year, that number has increased. And James had mentioned that the Fairbanks Native Bible Church has a youth group on Friday evenings. So what we've been doing is going down on Fridays and scooping up the kids there and taking them to youth group, keeping them for the weekend, going to church on Sunday, which actually makes for a long full day. We have the church that we attend in the morning and the native church is actually in the afternoon to better um, conform to their 
cultural lifestyle right. at one thirty, and then take them back down. So that each weekend kind of flexes and looks a little bit different depending on the tolerance and of what everyone can stretch into. Um, but this year we have seven kids from, from Grayling and the surrounding villages in Minana. Um, so each weekend there's a varying number of kiddos kiddos not kiddos teens teens, yeah. <laughs> teens in our house and and as our it's it's been really sweet because as our kids have aged out and left the home they've left some empty beds in our home so we have two two girls beds and and we've been able to put cots in the basement for the guys and um so that's another aspect that our family has carried on ministering to the teens while they're away from home, giving them a home away from home and loving on them. Um, going to their concerts, going if they're in wrestling or basketball or whatever's going on. And we've also had the opportunity to, we were recently introduced to biblical trauma healing. And as we've developed relationships and just been immersed in native life the the amount of true trauma true separation from those you love being wounded by those you love um domestic violence sudden death um suicide yeah suicide accident Um, murder i mean mm -hmm. i mean we we know teens and families affected by all these things and James and I have had the opportunity over the last year and a half um, to enter some training and certifications for trauma healing, um, both or all at the adult and teen and child level. And so we've just begun to introduce those, um, having retreats and um, wellness groups to dig into why is there trauma? Why does God allow suffering in the world? And how does this affect us? How does this affect our relationship with God, with others? Um, so a whole, a whole new area, which is really, we see as an introduction to biblical counseling that at a level where they can grasp and understand and really grab onto and see how it applies in their lives. Now, are these, yeah. these teens are professing believers or you're just you're ministering the gospel through life and conversations and that's right yeah yeah and and even even very low interest in mm-hmm. whether God is there or not but we have the opportunity to show him show them that so he you're is. saying they're mostly yeah. unbelievers yes. yeah yeah yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah they're they're um, <laughs> and also you know what do you, when you say a professing believer you know if you ask them are you a Christian you know, some of them might say, yes, I, I was baptized as a baby or whatever. And yeah, just what that even means is kind of the That's a, what you're getting at earlier. Right? Yeah. 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 And and we've had some really good conversations about that. Um, so, yeah, it's just been really a, a new, you know, I guess an addition to what we're doing. Um, and we've always recognized this. There, there are huge issues in trauma and like we're, real trauma i mean some really horrific stuff these kids have witnessed and mm. been through and it was kind of interesting too um we harry and i had been teaching these modules and there's one that we do on grief it's called the grieving indian written by a native man who has went from like um world war ii vet to al- to, to pastor minister to alcoholic to recovering from that and then being a counselor um, of native people and he wrote this book and then there's a workbook that we've worked through and we had done it once before and then one of the men in our group um, within a year he had his mother die and his son die mm. and so he asked us to do that again and we realized man this is this is really a needed area because there's unresolved grief um, just so much people I mean, most people die around the age of 40 or younger in the Native community. Um, it's wow. rare to 80, have... 80%. The yeah. average age is 40. Yeah. So we did that down in um, Copper Center, Glen Allen area. And then we thought, you know, we would, we've always wanted to do this off the road system and fly in, but there's just a lot of logistics. 
and in the meanwhile, we had gotten a house that we could stay in, and a missionary couple moved in full-time to Grayling. So now we had kind of the logistical support for us to be able to go to Grayling, and we did this module in Grayling. And Grayling's a village of, you know, around 200, maybe a little less. We had 15 people in that training module the first day. Yeah, and, and you know, we'd been going there for like eight years, and we started, and we were hearing things from people that we didn't even know, but they were able to talk about. And so what we see is like, okay, there's this, you know, talking about grief, which everybody, every Native person, I think, understands. There are a lot of grieving issues that they have to deal with. And then to follow that on with trauma healing, which is very gospel-oriented. I mean, it's very biblical from, you know, if God created the world, why is there pain? And you go to Genesis 1 through 3, and then you go to, you know, the Psalms of lament and grief, and then you and you take them to the cross where God, Christ died for the sins of the world, right? The cosmos, not just, you know, we talk about, did he die for every individual? Or, no, he died for the cosmos, is the word that John uses in John 3.16. He loved the cosmos, right? Um, and you see that in Romans 8, that the creation groans because the whole of creation is under this weight of the burden of sin, and, and the creation itself is groaning, waiting for the redemption of the sons of God. So that, getting, introducing people to that, and then like Shannon said, bringing them to biblical counseling where you can individually help them work through their their specific needs that's kind of like the the trajectory we see that god is kind of moving us toward um but you're also doing a lot in the language or you know trying to restore the language or teach the language as well mm -hmm. uh the whole concept that you're talking about that the gospel can be understood in the language of the people as well which right. has seemed to be neglected uh from previous missions work right there even even destroyed and or completely suppressed and so you're you're both and even the children are involved with you know creating these courses as well and yeah yeah shannon and krista um really helped me i mean we kind of created them together um, you know, a lot of it was Shannon's kind of <laughs> ironing out the details and it was really fun. Like they, we had these audios from the seventies uh -huh. and 400 words that gave like 10 words for each sound in the alphabet with, with the Holokachuk word transcribed and then, and then the, the English word. And, and then, the, the audio was an elder from the yeah, 70s yeah, pronouncing. So now they have mm. actual, you can hear an elder saying these words. Yeah. And then, I don't know who came up with the idea, but we did like a Facebook um, photo contest. And I would list out these words. These are the words that we need. You know, it might be seagull or eat or, you know, wake up or, and they Charcoal. Would, yeah, charcoal, toss, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, so, um and they would they would post a picture of that word and it was really fun I and mean, we got like gave them amazon cards and stuff like that but it was neat to see from their perspective when you give them a word what does this look like in their right, world to right. see what they would come back with yeah there's one word um leon is means uh he's fat i'm like oh man that's that's rude and i'm like what are yeah what yeah but then guess what the picture was it was a moose that had been shot laying out because when you say if you call and say hey i got a moose the first know, question the first from, question from the wife is gonna ask him, is, he, is fat? he fat is he fat yeah so, so yeah. it's actually good yeah it's valuable yeah. yeah it's their food right yeah so yeah just those kind of things were really fun to to see how they thought and so and you know i don't i don't am not under the delusion that they're going to you know become fluent in the language and it's going to be their, you know, first language again or anything. But the way I look at it is if they've been told for generations that your language is not good enough to talk about the gospel, mm. I want them to hear from a Christian, from a missionary to say, your language is valuable and it does have things to teach us. 
and and way, good ways of thinking about things. You know, one illustration I've given often is the idea of a, a hand. You would never say a hand because that hand has to belong to somebody, right? Mm -hmm. So you would have to put a prefix on it. Like my hand would be sila, sila. Your hand would be nila, and her hand would be mila. Mm. And you would never say wa, right? You would always have to say whose it is because it makes sense, right? And so there's a lot of like relational language that you start realizing because relationships are huge in native culture. And it even comes right from the, the language. And which is interesting too, Navajo is an Athabascan language and theirs is very similar. Oh, yeah. okay. I didn't yeah. know that. Yeah. So tie it all together for us. I know there's, there's some topics here that we've talked offline that I would love to explore maybe at a later date. Uh, but tie it all together from, you know, on the whole steward, we talk about the nine forms of capital and we were talking offline about how you have shifted or come to realize the, the amount of training that you've had in so many different areas from the pastoral training to the military flying, you know, for the Marines to the LAPD Academy. And then now the the PhD that you're pursuing, you have all these things. You can't say yes to everything. And I, and I often say, you know, on the show for everything you say yes to, you're saying no to everything else. So tie it together with the things that, you know, you're kind of saying no to for the more important things that you were describing earlier that, you know, you're saying yes. to. Yeah. 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 And actually we, by the way, we listen to your podcast when we're flying in the airplane out to Bailey. Awesome. So yeah. The boys yeah. always make sure. Did you download some episodes? Yeah. For you, can, us? yeah. you can listen even if you're flying. Yeah. That's it doesn't right. even out. have to be driving. Yeah. Flying mm -hmm. over the wilderness with nothing else inside. Well, that's yeah. right. Um, you so, have to pre-download them though. Right, yeah, you do. <laughs> but um yeah, and so the I that those nine forms of capital are, are really helpful and you know I, I hadn't thought about it in those defined terms, but yeah, along the way, you're you're realizing like there was some time I really was thought, thinking about finances, and we did the flips mm -hmm. on the house, and you know, and I still, you know, you want to be a good steward of finances, but at some point you have to realize, you know, that that can't be my focus. I mean, I remember one year I was like really into like stocks and free trade, you know, like what do they call it? I can't even remember, but you know, trading, online. day trading, day trading, yeah, yeah. And, you know, I was really into gold, you know, looking at gold stocks and things like that. And, man, when she did taxes that year, I was like, that's enough. No, we're not doing this anymore. You know, wow. for, yeah. Um, but so you were just looking into it. You were doing I it. I was She's doing, doing it. Her yes, taxes. right. Yeah, I was actually day trading. And But but it was just like, that's not our focus. Even, well, I, I did the mechanics course, right? But as I, I, I looked at that, I'm like, that's not really my passion or gifting. And I, was, I remember one time being out on the, on the ramp doing some mechanicking, and I'm like, there are 50 guys out here that could do this job. Right. Why am I doing it? Mm -hmm. Because, I mean, not only is it not my passion, but there are people that could do it a lot better than I can. They've got more experience. And really, God has given me, you know, the intellectual capital or the, the cultural capital to, you know, teach Holikachuk. There's no one else on the world that's teaching Holikachuk and Grayling right now. That's me, right? Right. <laughs> um, same thing. There's nobody else writing my dissertation, and and even, you know, even looking at integrating native epistemology and, and biblical epistemology. So those are things that like God has put on me individually that it's like nobody else is going to do that. So it seems like those are things that I have to do, you know, that I need to focus time on. Somebody um, else can change an alternator. Right. Right. Yep. Somebody else. And <laughs> which I did just change spark plugs. I do do some mechanicking, but it's like when I have to, mm. otherwise it's like, you know, I've got a mechanic that, that works on it. Um, but even, and then these relationships, right. Nobody else has that relationship with those right. kids that, that we do. And so that has to be something that we maximize on. Um, so, yeah, you have to say no then to some other things. And if that means 
you know, living in an unfinished house for a dozen years or more, you know, and, but being content with, okay, we don't have drywall, you know, it's warm, you know, and everything that you add, when you add a window in, it's like, whoa, we have a window, you know, and, and, oh, wow, we have a propane, you know, oven range now, and we have water, running water. Now we have running hot water. It's like every one of them is just this, I'm getting off topic, but, but, you know, you just have to say, okay, we're going to be content here and not be able to put that much time and effort into some things. And even the house, you know, I've been doing this PhD and there, you know, I could have probably been further along on the house. You just have to decide what's important. What is God, what's God putting in front of you that, that you know, really you see your gifts and abilities um, can, can really make an impact there and maybe not so much over here yeah and anything that you uh want to invest in any form of capital that you invest in takes time to do it and we all have the same 24 hours in a day sometimes i think the millers must have 25 hours in a day i don't know how they do it but uh you know it it certainly um sometimes it's very difficult decisions that have to be made Uh, other times it's easy and it's just been a, a, a real treat and blessing to hear God's leading in your lives. And, you know, of course, I've appreciated the friendship over the years. And I think what you're studying right now, James, in your for your dissertation would be super interesting to get into at a, at a later date. Uh, you got to finish it first. You got to right. find time. You got to stop talking on this podcast <laughs> and finish it. But um how can people find out more about what you're doing? Like, where, where can they go? Yeah, so we do have a website, millersinalaska.org. And that's um, our website. We have however many years of prayer letters they could read on. They're all archived there, um, some videos. And, and um, then they can also contact us through that if they wanted to, like, get on our prayer letter list, you know, get emails regularly um there is a a, like a button there for partner now if you're interested in you know you know being a financial or prayer partner so yeah very good well it's a been a pleasure super neat to just hear all the the doors that you've stepped through in faith and the hard work that you're doing you know we genuinely appreciate it we have no idea what it's like to be in the the even just the weather conditions, you know, let alone the relational challenges of the people that you're serving up there. So we thank you for that, and you're in our prayers. Thank you, Andrew. It's been an honor to to be part of what you're doing, too. Thank you. Yeah, Yeah, thank you. Wow, what an amazing and intricate situation that they find themselves in Alaska. So much so that it has driven James to pursue a PhD, to have a formal opportunity to study the aspects of missions work in the native community there in Alaska. They are certainly in the trenches, flying across the wilderness, and I happen to know they even do it in the middle of winter when it's very cold, which is quite amazing and hard work. They are working extremely hard. And then to really be concerned with what does it mean to know and understand and embrace the gospel? To be a Christian, what does it mean? Does it mean you repeat certain words? Does it mean you live a certain way or does it mean you know and understand the Lord and that is what the gospel does it reconciles God and man that is to bring peace on earth goodwill toward men God did this and it is a marvelous thing their work is important like they said if you want to learn more go ahead and visit their website, millersinalaska.org. And I just want to point out that it was really neat to hear how they listened to the podcast and it's helped even think through their priorities. 
There's only 24 hours in a day. We've talked about this many times. We have a certain amount of things that God has given us to do. And there are some things that you may be doing that is not your best and highest use. Uh, For example, working on your airplane. He's qualified to work on airplanes. However, there are other things that James is doing, and I know this is true for Shannon as well, that nobody else can do. Nobody else can write his dissertation on the topic. He has to do that. What a great reminder. As we wrap up the year of 2023, how have we done on our goals? What is it that we need to kind of start thinking about for the coming year, 2024? How can we best glorify God in our stewardship in every area of life. Don't neglect any area. Uh, Even the mission that they're working on is not possible without having all nine forms of capital taken care of. If you're a train wreck in any one of these, it's going to be very imbalanced and likely unsuccessful. Let's say you're really good at money management, but you're an absolute train wreck in your family. That's a problem. Or the other way around. Maybe you're great with your family, but you're a train wreck financially. Get the right amount before the Lord and and what we do as stewards, we need to think about, am I allotting the proper amount of attention and care to each area, to the spiritual capital, the physical capital, the intellectual capital, the experiential capital, the social capital, the cultural capital, the material, the financial, and the time. All nine forms of capital are vitally important, and sometimes we need to refocus a little bit. Thank you so much to the Millers for coming on. It was great, even me knowing them for as many years as I have. I still learned a lot today, and I hope you did too. If you want to learn more, go ahead, visit their website. You can also email me, letters at thewholesteward.com. Get in contact with me, review the show, do all that stuff, thumbs it up and everything. I would love to get The Whole Steward out to more people. If you find it helpful, I'm looking to you to share it. Merry Christmas, and until next time, now that you know more, go out and grow more. All content on The Whole Steward is for informational purposes only and must not be considered personal, professional, tax, or legal advice. Please consult an appropriate professional for individualized advice. Though we do our best to bring you reliable information, we make no guarantee on its accuracy. So you must rely on your own due diligence to draw your own conclusions. The views expressed by guests on the show are their own and may not represent that of the host. Please visit our website for complete terms and conditions. Thanks for joining us today for the holistic approach to wealth from a Christian worldview. This show is brought to you by thewholesteward.com.